Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Well, in recent weeks, many of you have made new or renewed commitments to follow Jesus. You've asked God to come and live inside of you, and the two of you together have uh, started down the path of some incredible journey of life change. I want you to know that as your pastor, I am thrilled to death every time I get to hear one of these stories of new life or renewed life. And so a couple of Sundays ago, I got up here and I taught a lesson that was intended to help you get started on the right foot living in the kingdom of God. And if you missed that message, if you miss any of the messages that are taught here on Sundays, you can always go to our webpage, firstnaz.com, go to the media page, and you can just listen right there. If you're a mobile device person, you can download them into anything that you can carry with your hands and listen as you go. But that lesson was a couple of weeks ago, and today I want to offer uh, another lesson kind of in that same vein to help those of us who are new in our faith or who have uh, made a, a restart in the faith get started on the right foot living in the kingdom. But if that description doesn't fit you, maybe you're something more like this. Maybe you made a commitment to follow Jesus years ago. Somebody presented the good news about what Jesus offers people, forgiveness of sin, connection with God the Father, and an eternal life connected with him that ends up in heaven forever. Maybe you heard that message years and years ago, and you said, I believe and I want that. And so you you made that step forward in faith at that point. But over the years, you've struggled a little bit to remain vitally connected with Jesus. And now, all these years later, it feels like maybe... He's very far away, a little too distant for your comfort. If that's the case for you, then I want you to know that this message this morning can be some encouragement and some real help for you in that struggle, because I believe that there is victory to be had in that area of our lives. Uh, when I was 14, My family sold our family farm, moved to a new community, and about the same time, another family in Alabama sold their place, moved to the same community, and they had a 14-year-old boy too. And so the two of us became fast friends. We first bonded over the notion that we were the low men on the totem pole going into a big high school, new high school, bigger than than what we were used to, and we were scared spitless about going in there as these freshman boys. But we also became friends because of a lot of things that we shared. We shared a sense of humor. We shared a love for all outdoors pursuits. We shared a love of sports and we're 14-year-old boys. We loved girls, <laughs> okay? So uh, we bonded over that a lot, talked about that a lot. Uh, became fast friends. We were friends all the way through high school. We shared lockers together. Uh, we went everywhere together. He spent the night at my house. I spent the night at his house. His mom fed me. She, it was, she was one of those moms who did forced feeding. You know what I'm talking about? You go to her house and she says, would you like something to eat? No, thank you. And she'd put it in front of me. And as I finished, would you like some more? No. And it was going on the plate. And that was just the way that the Carolyn went about life. And let's just say that I never did really complain about it. But we lived at each other's houses. We just had this shared life together because we were tight, close friends. About the time that we finished high school, we decided we'd go to the same college together. Mid-American Nazarene University was just one hour from our homes. And we both decided that if we lived at home and commuted together and split the gas money, we could save thousands and thousands of dollars over the course of our college years. And so we did. And that gave us two hours of drive time a day to just laugh and listen to music and do all the things that friends do. 
we were 18 years old, which meant still very interested in girls, and so we talked about that a lot. The problem is that in the middle of the college years, I ran into this lady right here, and I fell in love with her. And it kind of got in the way of my friendship, because, uh, I mean, my friend was nice and all, but he wasn't Laura. <laughs> and uh, just very quickly, I found that I wanted to spend all kinds of time with her. My friend noticed. And he said, you know, you're neglecting our friendship. And I swelled up a little bit because nobody likes to be told that they're wrong, especially when they're wrong. And I was, well, we got in this argument in which, because I was young and arrogant, I said to him, look, if you're asking me to choose between her and you, I've already chosen. So what? And our relationship went through a very difficult test. It about ended it. It definitely put some distance in there, which for me was okay because that meant more time with Laura. But at the same time, there was just this ache in my heart because I had the sense that I was about to lose a friend. A couple years later, he fell in love with the girl of his dreams. They very quickly got married. He came to me and apologized. He said, I get it now. I understand. And uh, very quickly, we were on the same page again. And he and his wife and Laura and I spent an awful lot of time together, you know, eating in one another's homes and running around town doing all that stuff. And very much enjoying that renewed sense of friendship. Straight out of college, I got a job and I needed some more help. So I talked to the owner and he let me hire my friend. And so five days a week, eight hours a day, 40 hours, we, we just worked together, literally with, within arm's length of each other all day long. A couple years later, I got a job in the investment industry and my friend needed a job. I put in a good word for him. He got the job there, and we were working for the same company. Our offices were on the very same floor, and we were headed somewhere and having a ball as we went. The company ended up opening an office in Denver, and my friend was kind of on the fast track toward uh, managerial work there, and so he knew that it was going to be a, a crucial career step for him to be in that first wave of folks that moved to Denver, so he did. And about two months later, Laura and I accepted a call to our first pastoral ministry position in Connell, Washington, and so we took off for Connell. That was about 17 years ago. And I think my friend and I have spoken five times. And that includes Facebook interchanges. And I don't know what happened. I mean, neither one of us intended to, to break the friendship. It's just that we quit talking. I got busy, he got busy. And 17 years have passed. And I suppose that if... We had a word for each other. The word is friend, but the truth is the friendship no longer exists. And I know why. Plain and simply, it's because we never spend any time together. This morning, I want to uh, take a look at a story from the life of Jesus and his friends and and I want us together to see how even Jesus himself was subject to this same rule of life. But understand this. The lesson isn't about Jesus and his friends. The lesson is about us. 
If you're a parent, just know that you can always keep your kids with you at First Naz events, okay, regardless of their age. The only thing we ask is that you be mindful of your fellow worshipers because they're trying to hear what the Lord is saying, but you can keep your kids with you all the time. But also understand that we provide children's church up through uh, fourth grade because we really believe that fifth graders on up, they can really start to understand the kind of things that we're talking about. So we want them in here with us. On that same note, we we also worship together as families on the first Sunday of each month. And then through the summer, we won't have children's church. We'll have the children in here with us. That's coming up in the month of June. But according to our plans, we're hoping that fifth graders on up will be in here with us. And if you're old enough by by that description to be sitting in this sanctuary right now, then you have lived long enough to lose a close friendship to that very same thing, to a lack of time spent together. When you become aware of the fact that you have lost a friendship, it registers as pain and sorrow in your heart. And most of us then try to do something about that. And I'll tell you this. You can think about your friend. You can miss your friend. You can hope your friend is doing well. All of that. But unless and until you pick up the phone or you drop by their house or in some other way reestablish communication, you will not have a renewed friendship. What's more, the friendships that you do have in place now, some of them new, maybe replacing the, you know, filling the void where that other friendship, past friendship was, those same friendships subject to the very same rule. And if you do not invest time in your relationships, they go away. If you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, we'll be reading from Mark chapter 6. It'll be projected on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Mark chapter 6. If you look at your Bible, there's Old and New Testaments. The New Testament is kind of the the last one-third. And the second book in there is the gospel or the story of Jesus according to Mark. Here's what Mark said. Mark chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading with the second half of verse 6. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Man, where's the nice Jesus? Hmm. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent or turn away from their sins and to turn toward God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people anointing them with olive oil. Now skip down to verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus. So they'd gone out on this ministry trip. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place. Rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. 
Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. Uh, with what? They asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Well, how much bread do you have? Jesus asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to his disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of five thousand men and their families were fed from those loaves. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat, head across the lake to Bethsaida, while he sent the people home. And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe seated. Jesus and his first disciples did all kinds of Jesus stuff. The things that you've come to think of in the ministry of Jesus, that's what really uh, took up the, the time of those three years that Jesus and his first disciples lived and traveled together. They did the things that you're probably already aware of. They preached the good news of the kingdom. There's a phrase that occurs in the New Testament that we all just kind of read past as church ease, but here's what it means. Jesus came and announced the kingdom of God that the prophets talked about, that is that time when God is going to do something. He's going to send somebody into this world to begin to sort out the junk and to begin to fix the brokenness in the hearts of human beings so that together we can now start to rebuild the dream that God dreamed years ago. That guy... The Messiah, Jesus said, I'm him. And if I'm him, then the kingdom of God is here. Close enough that you can get a hold of it. God's going to start fixing the world. That was the the message of the good news of the kingdom. But they also did some things that kind of proved that the kingdom was coming because the Israeli people had had a number of prophets who had spoken to them by the will of God, by the being filled with the Holy Spirit, they came and said, we have a message from God. It was hundreds of years before, and they had said, when Messiah, the grand fixer, comes, you will be able to tell who he is because he will start healing people like mad. Blind people will see. Crippled people will suddenly be able to walk. You'll find that people with leprosy who never got healed will suddenly be healed and well and whole and reintroduced back into their families and into society. Aren't those fantastic things? I mean, wouldn't you have loved to have been a part of that scene where Jesus shows up and makes an outlandish claim like, I'm uh, God come to earth and we're going to start fixing this place. And then people start snickering. uh And then he says, oh, yeah? Well, how about this? Paralyzed person gets up and walks. He says, oh, in case you were wondering, not a trick. Bring all of your sick. And they brought all of their sick. And he just healed them and healed them and healed them. Then he'd go to the next town, he'd do the same thing. And he'd go to the next town, he'd do the same thing. Fantastic things. What is not to love about a message that says that this world's going to change? Haven't you been hoping you'd hear that from some believable source? 
What's not to love about a person who's been blind their whole lives, finally getting to see the faces of the people that they love? What's not to love about a guy who sat by the temple gate for 38 years every day, suddenly being able to pick up his bed and skip and jump and dance into the temple with everybody else who was going in there to worship? What's not to love about that stuff? It's fantastic. And it all happens by the power of God's Holy Spirit that flows to earth. But you got to know something. When God's power flows to earth in those ways, it almost always flows through very human beings. And so this ministry that Jesus and his guys were doing was fantastic. And it was a display of the power of God coming to earth, but it flowed through them. And I'll tell you what it does to anybody who gets involved in it. It leaves you exhausted. (laughs) It's very tiring. It will absolutely ring you out. So what then for Jesus and his disciples? One little ministry tour and then it's all over because everybody's just whooped. Let's go home. And what about for us? Those of us who are following in his footsteps and trying to do the things that Jesus did, trying to live the Jesus life, trying to help people understand that the kingdom of God is not some future reality and it's not some ancient reality. It's now and defines our existence. What about us? Do we just go along and get used up and then tip over? No. We follow the example of Jesus in this case. And I want to show it to you. Follow the example of Jesus, who in addition to powerful ministry, also took time to be alone with God. Jesus and his first followers took time for just God and me time. And it was a regular rhythm in their life. It was this thing that provided the the regular rhythm for them to continue to live the rest of their lives and do the ministry. Take a look at this. This is not, uh, you saw it in the, in the text that I read today. They tried twice, didn't they? They went on this, this ministry trip. You have to understand the background of this passage. Jesus had just really become famous for all the things that he was saying and doing. He went back to his hometown, thought he would do a little ministry there. And the people said, who do you think you are? Because we know who you are. You're the carpenter's son. Not really, because we know the story. And, and your family's never been of any real account. We know who you are. Don't try to pull this Messiah garbage on us. And the text, right before we started reading this morning, says because of that, Jesus really couldn't do any miracles among them except, you know, heal a few people. <laughs> well, I wish I wish we had enough faith that Jesus could do a few miracles, just a few miracles among us, huh? At any rate, he uh, he went to his hometown, he did all those things, and the people basically ran him out of town. And so the, the text opens where I started reading today with saying that, so Jesus went to the other towns. And then he sent out the guys to go and, and do ministry. Do you ever wonder what Jesus did while they were out on their ministry trip? Well, the section of that of that chapter that I skipped says that Jesus did a little ministry trip as well. And he did the very same things that he was sending his first disciples out to do. But when they got back together, they debriefed on the ministry trips. They said, here's what we taught. Here are the things that we did. Here's the number of demons that we cast out. What do you think, Jesus? And he went over it all with them. He says, hey guys, how about this? Let's get lost for a while. I mean, it's been a long, hard ministry season. Let's go get some rest. And they jumped in the boat, but people saw the direction the boat was pointing. And so they ran over there and got in front of him. So when Jesus and the guys got out, it's like, Oh, 
It's been a long day already, but I guess we're going to put on a meal for 20,000 people. And they worked their fingers to the bone. Albeit there was a miracle, but I'm just saying handing out 20,000 sack lunches takes a while, you know? By the time you get to the end of the day, when you were whooped at the start of it, you're pretty exhausted now at the end of it. And what does Jesus do? He says, hey, guys, I, um, they're on to us, and they'll know wherever we go. So how about this? I'll be the distraction. I'm going to keep talking. You guys get in the boat. You run over to Bethsaida. Just head that direction. It's dark. They'll lose sight of the boat. Uh, take a left turn and go to Bethsaida. And then he dismissed the crowds, stuck around because everybody wanted to, you know, a piece of Jesus. So they, they talked for a while, and then he sent them home. And then it says he went up in the mountains to pray. But it's not the only time in the the four accounts of the Jesus story. It's not the only time that we see Jesus getting by himself and praying. I'm not going to list for you all of them. I'm going to read some of them to you. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Mark chapter 6, verse 46, what I just read. After telling everybody goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And one last verse, Matthew 6, 6, where Jesus said, But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. And pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Jesus needed and wanted time with his father. Both for that sense of peace that comes with rest to be restored. And so that he would know in his head and in his heart just exactly what the father wanted him to do next. I'm going to say that again because it's an important sentence and a long one. (laughs) Jesus both wanted and needed Time alone with the Father for two reasons. One, so that the peace that comes only with rest could be restored to him. Secondly, so that he could know here and here exactly what the Father wanted him to do next. So we see this rhythm that began to take place in his life. It marked his life. Minister, retreat. Minister, retreat. Go out go away. And he called his disciples to do the very same thing. Jesus needed time with his father for that sense of peace that comes with rest and so that he'd know what the father wanted him to do. So what did Jesus do since he needed it? Well, fasten your seatbelts because this is really complex and revolutionary. He took time with God. He didn't start a program. He didn't institute a, a, a new thing that all Christians are supposed to exactly mimic. it's, It's not a sacrament like baptism or the Lord's Supper. It's just that Jesus had this need to connect with his father. So he said, I'm just going to start going away some. He took time to connect with God by leaving the crowd, even leaving the people who were closest to him and getting away by himself just to talk to God. Early on in your life with Christ, it's very important that you establish a rhythm of life that will help you to grow in your faith, and will help nurture your connection with God. See, I, I don't know why it is, but we human beings fall into this trap again and again and again, and Christian ones in particular. We, we, we gravitate toward rules. This is what I ought to do, and this is what I ought not to do, and we start becoming list makers and list keepers. 
And because of that, when we experience new life, this new life in, in connection with Jesus, many of us start looking for what are the good things to do, and then we think that's our life, that our life is all the doing, it's all the living. But the scriptures teach us differently. They teach us that the real life is right in here. It's when God, the Holy Spirit, comes and connects with your spirit. This is life, and this is the stuff that we do over here. This is life, and this is the living, the activities of living. But this is the life right here in the center of who you are. But you got to know this. If you want the life, the friendship with God to continue, you have to spend time with him. Not ought to. Not should, there's no morality to it. It's just functionality. That if you don't want to lose your high school buddy, pick up the phone. And if you want some sort of fuel for living this life of transformation and both your transformation and and, and changing the community around you, it has to come from somewhere. And it comes from the life. You can't generate enough of this over here to change you, let alone a community. But God the Holy Spirit can. And that is why we have to nurture this relationship that we have between us and him. And time away with God is not about, hey, God, look at all the things I'm doing. Hey, God, tell me the the things that I'm supposed to be doing. It's about just establishing, reestablishing, nurturing that connection between us and him. Early on in your life, very important that you establish a rhythm of life that's going to help you grow in your faith and in your connection with God and which will also then provide fuel for the kind of living that you're hoping to see, the kind of changes you're hoping to see in your life. The church, as long as I've been a part of it, has said, you really ought to spend time reading the Bible and praying every day, and that's it. They tell us that, and then for the most part, we haven't been shown how to do it. We sometimes pick up maybe some of the how-tos by listening and observing other people, but this morning, I just want to make sure that we all know exactly what we're talking about here. If if it really is the case that you need some time to connect with the Father, can I just spend a few minutes telling you how to do that? It's a simple little how-to. Um, it's, it's three points that I think you can remember. They're real simple. Set aside a time, set aside a spot, and set aside every agenda but one, and that's to get to know God. Okay, so let's talk about the first one. Set aside a time. Set aside a time and make it ironclad. All of the early risers in the room, please raise your hand. Okay, keep it up there. And all of you who really think that everyone else ought to be early risers, keep your hands up. Oh, come on, I know you. Yeah, okay. Uh, We have to get over that, okay? Those of us that are early risers, we have to get over that because God makes people different. But I'll tell you this, if you're an early riser, it's probably going to be best for you to start your day, the very first thing that you do, you know, after coffee, to um, connect with the Lord. Spend a little bit of time connecting with him. But it doesn't have to be a first thing in the day. Now, all of the early morning people are going to tell you, yeah, but your day will go better. And they'll tell you about how their days have gone better and how their days have gone bad when they, I don't know, skipped reading the Bible or something. Therefore, everyone in the world should do it like me. Eh, We don't really believe that. Because we believe that there are some people who, well, based on their track record, if they got up early in the morning and talked to Jesus, they'd be mean and hateful to him. So (laughs) there's no sense being grumpy with Jesus. Don't do that. Okay, so if you're not if you're not an early riser, then uh, you know no condemnation from right up here. Uh, just be who you are, and maybe in the middle of the day, you're just one of those people who says, you know what, I've had enough of work or school. I have got to get away from this place, and that's what lunchtime is to you. It's time away from that. 
Oh, a little bit of me time at lunch could turn into God in me time if you took just a few minutes of it to say, hey, Lord, how about I really get away from the worries of that workplace? How about I really get away from the ugh that happens at school? Just you and me for a few minutes. But there are also people who get up and they just hit the deck running. They're going to be productive. They're getting all their stuff done. And there comes a shutoff valve somewhere along 5 o'clock or a little later where they go, and they shut off the flow of work and they say, now it's me time. And that's a perfect time for some God and me time. What I'm saying is this. It really doesn't matter what time of day. It doesn't. What matters is that you spend some time in that day for just you and God. And when you figure out what it is that works for you, make it ironclad. Make it bulletproof. Make it sacred enough that nothing else gets to intrude. You already do that with things that are important to you. You eat three meals a day. And by golly, you're going to get all three of them. If you don't, cranky, right? Because somebody got in the way of... My, my schedule, the stuff that's important to me. Some of you are people who you go to bed at 9.30 or 10 o'clock and not 10.01 and not 9.31 and by golly, the people who are at your house, they better start being quiet or they better get out of your house because it's bedtime. Bedtime's important to you. You protect it. It's ironclad. Jobs, recreation, ain't nothing getting in the way of karate, period, soccer, volleyball, whatever. You just, you protect it because you know what it does for you. Yeah, this time, just God and me time, it's important enough to make it the thing that gets protected in your life. Okay? Set aside some time, make an ironclad. Secondly, set aside a spot. And again, this is just, there's nothing more sacred about this chunk of real estate than this one. There really is nothing more sacred about the sanctuary than the foyer. The whole world belongs to God. You know that, right? Okay, so the couch in your living room can be a really holy place if it's the spot where you and God get together. But I would just recommend this. Whatever the spot is that you set aside, make it the same spot and make it make it a meeting place. It has to be conducive to the two of you having conversation and not getting interrupted. So can I make a little recommendation? Don't try it at my office. It's the worst meeting spot in the world. I, I mean, I love the way the room looks, but here's the deal. This place is crawling with children five days a week. And children, when they are being children, make noise. We're grateful for that a lot of the time. But I hear every little footstep. I hear every little laugh. I hear every little complaint. I swear that the class that meets above me, they do jumping jacks about six hours of the day. Because it just sounds like the place is coming apart. The walls are about this thick. And if I try to have a conversation... Um, it's tough because I can hear the conversation in the next room. Oh, yeah, and piano lessons on Monday afternoon. Really? <laughs> so God and I don't talk in my office much, except late, late at night and early in the morning because it's just not a good place for us to be together without getting interrupted. So from time to time, I'll tell Bill, hey, I'm out of here, and I grab my laptop if I'm going to if I'm gonna go and prepare for a sermon so I can study a little bit. That's a connection time with with, uh, with God for me as well. And uh, I have learned that there's a coffee shop where you all have planned to meet me. If I go there, I get nothing done in terms of study and no conversation with God because you all live there. But I found one that you haven't discovered yet, and I go there. <laughs> I love it when we get a chance to just bump into each other in public and talk. That is fantastic. But man, there has to be some time when it's me and God. And, you know, you probably know enough about me by now if you've been around for a couple of years to know that the real place that I do the most uninterrupted talking with God is where there's no buildings and no people and I can go crawl around in the hills, but that's not immediately accessible every day. 
neither is the coffee shop accessible to me every day. So here's the way it works for me is that it's, it's on the love seat, not the sofa, the love seat in the living room upstairs at my house, somewhere between 5 and 5.30 in the morning. Because there's no other Purcell with a pulse at that time of the day. <laughs> if you can uh, listen for God over the snoring, it's a great time at the Purcell house to connect with God. But I just, I've got this time that's ironclad, and I've got this spot that's a meeting place because I know that I'm not going to get interrupted. So it's time for me to, to stand up and go start waking people up and get them ready for the day. And I just want to recommend to you that, that if you really are going to value this, nurture this relationship with God, that you do two things. First, that you set aside a time and you make it ironclad, protect it. Secondly, you do it in a place where you're not going to get interrupted. Because uh, throwing three sentences at Jesus between ongoing conversation with the people around you is not likely to produce what you're looking for. The last thing is this. Whenever you found a time and you found a spot, then set aside every agenda but one. And the agenda is this, to get to know God. It doesn't matter how much Bible you read. It doesn't matter how many minutes you pray. It doesn't matter whether you read some sort of devotional book along with that. People all the time say, Pastor Cliff, here's this great devotional book. You got to read it. No, I don't. I mean, thank you, but no, I don't. Um, I just have to do whatever works in this moment for God and me to connect and to be able to, to talk with one another. At times, you know what I found? I found that I fill up my just God and me time with just book and me time. Well, all I did, I read and read and read, but I, but I never took the time to stop and listen to God and to talk with him. And so for me personally, and it's only that, this is thus saith the cliff, not thus saith the Lord, holds a lot less weight. It's just the Bible and prayer in me. That's it. Me and God, Bible and prayer. And I, I take a little bit of time to, to pray first, and I just ask the Lord to kind of open my heart and give me a discerning mind so that I can really understand what he's saying. I read a little bit of the Bible until something jumps off the page at me, and then I think, well, that's the word of God for me for today, the thing that goes, aha, ding, light comes on. And then if I'm, if I'm using my, my, my bound Bible, I'll, I'll write, I'll, I ruin Bibles because I write in the margins the, the things that God says to me so that next year when I'm studying this passage, I can go, oh, yeah, hey, you shouldn't have forgot that, Cliff. That was good stuff. Uh, if you're a device, uh, electronic device person, you use the Uversion app. There's a place for you to make notes. You can store all that stuff in there. And nobody else ever sees it if you want to keep it private. But I, I just pray for an open heart. I read a little bit of the Bible. I jot down some things if anything happens that day. And then I just, at the end of it all, I just say, well, God, you know how this goes. I got to go get the kids up and start the day. And I just don't want to forget the things that you've entrusted to me today. So would you remind me a couple times what I read today? Would you give me the strength to live by them? Real simple, real easy. Set aside some time. Make it ironclad. Set aside a place so that you don't get interrupted. Maybe you're a person who has lots of drive time. Man, that's golden. Don't read. Listen. <laughs> um, yeah, Pastor Cliff said, read the Bible and drive. Brilliant. Uh, set aside some time. Set aside a spot. And then just set aside every agenda but one. This is just about getting to know God well. And he honors it. He honors it. My friend that I referred to earlier uh, knows and serves the Lord Jesus. I reckon when we're in heaven, we'll look at each other and say, it was a crying shame that we let something that was as good as it once was just go by the wayside by simply not picking up the phone. But we both tried it a couple of times since, and what we found is that relationship's just a good thing from our past. But your relationship with God will not be experienced as a good thing from the past. It won't. It will be your biggest heartache if it becomes a thing of your past. No should, ought, must from the preacher today. 
you ought to be reading your Bibles. None of that. Just this. If you recently started a life with Jesus or you restarted a life with Jesus, I want to help you get started on the right foot so that this relationship lasts you for a lifetime. It means that you probably need to get in the rhythm early on of spending some time with Jesus. Do it by setting aside some time, some space, and every agenda but one. Just get to know him. And if you will do those things, I promise that God himself will meet you there morning after morning, night after night, coffee shop after coffee shop. He will meet you there. And he will begin to breathe his life into your spirit again and again and again. And over time, it will change the way that you live and you'll become a person who changes the world around you. Isn't that what you were hoping for? When you were young, didn't you dream of making a difference in this world? All your life long, haven't you dreamed of being changed and transformed from the inside out? It happens by spending a little bit of time with God in prayer. All that stuff to me is prayer. The Bible reading is prayer. All of it's prayer because it's a conversation between God and me. I'm not going to teach you models of prayer, methods of prayer, any of that stuff right now. Maybe some other day. But today, just know this. There's a life, a spiritual life that's been born within you when God's Holy Spirit came within. It needs to be nurtured and cared for. And you can do that by setting aside time, setting aside a spot, and setting aside every agenda but one. Just want to know you better, God. He'll honor it. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I want to ask you if you're a person, look, we, we have to be see-through here, okay? We just have to. Enough of uh, posing and pretending. That never helped anybody do anything well. How about this? If you're a person that says, um, I recently started a relationship with God, and I didn't, I didn't know how to take care of it. Thank you, Pastor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing that stuff you talked about this morning. Or if you were, you were restarting um, here recently, you just realized it was, it was time for a restart, a reset of your faith. But you know that what tripped you up last time and what sucked the life out of you was that you didn't you didn't connect with him regularly and you're saying this time I'm going to but I want your help pastor because I failed at this before you're either one of those two categories you just raise your hand right now it's okay for everybody to see you listen we all struggle okay yeah in the back okay who else who else struggle right there good I'll pray for you absolutely yeah it's listen it's a hard thing like eating vegetables every day you know some days you just don't want to some days you just don't want to work out. Yeah, you're going to need some help. I'm just the guy who's going to help you by praying for you. Anybody else who says, I struggle with that part of my life, so I'd like for you to, to pray for me, Pastor? Okay. Listen, I already know you're imperfect, and I'm just finding out what flavor. Okay? Anybody else that just says, man, I'm struggling there. I really need some help. Up there? Yeah, up there. I see you all in the balcony. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Okay, how about this? How about, um, I've walked with him for years, and I've tried to get close, but he feels far away. It's never worked before. I'm scared to even try again because I don't want to be disappointed, but more than anything, I really want to connect with God. So, Pastor, I, I want you to pray for me that I'll press through this, and I want you to ask God for me to really show up when I do. Anybody struggling like that today? It's okay for people to know. Yeah, back there. Okay, you bet. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah, up there. I see you. You see, we're not, we're not trying to broker religion. I'm not trying to get you to, to be a part of our religion. There's a life, a real life. The God who made you breathes his life into you and he wants to and there's a way. If you'll just set aside some time, a spot, and every agenda but getting to know him. Lord, you saw the hands. You know the hearts. You know how I've struggled with this. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would help me and my brothers and sisters. Because there is real life. We know it. We've tasted it. And we want it to remain. So we're asking for your help in following easy steps today. Simple steps, not easy ones. Simple. We can understand them. We're going to need your help in walking them out. Would you help us? Why don't you open your eyes for just one more second. I'm going to tell you, uh, I should have been good at this uh, and consistent longer than I have been. But the truth is, until the year 2009, I was on again, off again in everyday Bible reading and, and praying. I, I was a pastor for a lot of years and was just not making a daily connection. And I'd have these great strong times and I'd have these horrible barren wilderness times. And the, the, the enemy would, would crouch on my shoulder and say, you don't even have a right to be a pastor because you don't, you know what I'm talking about? How you just beat the snot out of me over that stuff. He's probably right. Something changed in the year 2009. There was a day in July when I just decided it's changing forever. By the help of God's Holy Spirit, I said, from this day forward, I will spend time with him in his word and in prayer. I'm not a better man than I used to be, but I have a tighter connection with God. And I'll tell you this, there's momentum that will work in your favor. If you start to make this connection with him, he'll breathe life into it. So just know this from a fellow struggler, okay? I know there's struggle, but I also know there's victory on this side of it. If you will purpose to be closer to God, what do the scriptures say? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So may you go in peace this day, knowing sweet friendship and fellowship with God. Amen.